With David Johnson. Yeah. If you're running, so I'll tell you this could be love. David Johnson in every dynasty league. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Those three touchdowns last night saved my bacon. (laughs) So now, finally, everyone is convinced that David Johnson is quote-unquote for real. But we're still a long ways away from getting to that point with Cameron Meredith. You still don't believe me that Cameron Meredith is a better football player than Kevin White? Still, is there anyone out there that doesn't believe that at this point? Cameron Meredith is averaging 10 receptions for 122 yards in two games as a starter. 75% catch rate over that period. Whoa! Whoa! Nobody saw this coming. Nobody, nobody could have possibly seen this. Except one. What about Kevin White? When four games started, Kevin White compiled only 187 total receiving yards. And despite one of the lowest average depth of targets in the NFL, was still only able to convert a 52.8% catch rate. Oh! Excuse me. Something something died in my throat looking at these Kevin White advanced metrics on playerprofiler.com. So yes, of course. Of course Cameron Meredith is a far superior football player to Kevin White. Ew. But just 10 days ago, talking to Aaron Lemming and others that cover the Chicago Bears full-time, they thought the idea that Cameron Meredith was better than Kevin White was laughable. (laughs) That's crazy! (laughs) Oh, is it now? 
It doesn't appear quite so crazy now, does it? You thought Kevin White was a breakout star. Oh, no. No, 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 no. It is Cameron Meredith. We all own Cameron Meredith in every league. Cameron Meredith has been winning me matchups the last couple weeks. Thank God for Cameron Meredith. If I didn't own Cameron Meredith in the Roto World Expert League, I would have lost this week. But I don't need to worry about that because I own Cameron Meredith, thankfully. But was I playing Cameron Meredith in DFS cash games last week? No, I wasn't. It's odd. Cameron Meredith's number one fanboy wasn't playing him in cash games last week? No, no. But but Cameron Meredith was one of the highest owned wide receivers in cash. How could you not play Cameron Meredith? Over 40% owned. How? Don't you love Cameron Meredith? What's happening? No one has more Cameron Meredith street cred than I do. I love Cameron Meredith. I started him everywhere in redraft last week, but I can already see it happening. I am becoming the Cameron Meredith voice of reason because I don't believe in playing wide receivers with highly uncertain target shares in cash games. I just don't do it because heading into week six, Cameron Meredith only had one game started on his resume. That's not enough for me to start you in a cash game. Sorry, I'm not sorry about that. But then you watch the game last weekend, and what do you see? You see the Chicago Bears running design screen plays for Cameron Meredith. They used to run those plays for Alshon Jeffrey. No more. They're not merely only throwing to Cameron Meredith when he's open. They are calling plays designed to get the ball to Cameron Meredith, even though he shares a field with Alshon Jeffrey. Think about that. So moving forward, Cameron Meredith will be usable in cash games depending on his salary level, but he wasn't last week. And seeing the majority of DFS Sharps getting rewarded for using Cameron Meredith in cash games incorrectly was equivalent to a record scratch at the Cameron Meredith dance party for me. Now, why is that? Why was Cameron Meredith used so broadly in cash games? Because everyone was paying up for running backs last week. So Cameron Meredith's high ownership percentage was a direct result of a flawed roster construction approach, particularly on DraftKings. That's what I take issue with. So here we go, the Fantasy Mansion pivot. Once Cameron Meredith becomes popular... Find a way to criticize Cameron Meredith before everyone else. Burning the tout candle at both ends. Touting him before everyone else and then fading him before everyone else. I'm not necessarily fading Cameron Meredith, but he was used in a particular format on a particular platform incorrectly last week. Because if you come to the conclusion that it is a good idea to buy two or three of the most expensive running backs... In any contest on any platform that is full PPR, I am going to disagree with that approach. Now, was Cameron Meredith in a number of our GPP lineups on the playerprofiler.com lineup optimizer? Absolutely. DraftKings, FanDuel, Cameron Meredith was an inexpensive, high upside, ideal GPP play. But you didn't know what you were getting from him in cash because... Week six was Cameron Meredith's second game started. 
You played Cameron Meredith last week because of his upside, not his high floor, but you saw so many people using backwards rationale in cash games. Playing expensive running backs because of their upside? No, that's not how you do it. You absolutely want upside in your cash game lineups. It's not all about minimizing risk. You absolutely want upside in cash, but running backs in the NFL, generally speaking, have less upside. On DraftKings, in a full PPR format, you should not be playing multiple expensive running backs. But I saw so many lineups playing three expensive running backs last week. Pure insanity. Doesn't matter if it's GPP or cash, playing three expensive running backs on DraftKings, a full PPR format, is something a lunatic would do. And yet, that was the consensus approach. Why was everyone playing Le'Veon Bell, LaShawn McCoy, and Cameron Meredith last week? Because that's what every DFS grinder on every podcast was telling everyone else to do. And all the DFS pros, and all the DFS experts, and all the casual DFS players all listened to the same podcasts. That's why everyone's cash game roster was constructed in exactly the same way in week six. And all those rosters were irrational. I don't care what the positional matchups look like across the slate in any given week. I'll never support paying top dollar for multiple running backs in DraftKings cash game contests. I won't do it. Look at these lineups. None of them include Brandon Cooks. None of them included Odell Beckham Jr. So many of these lineups went down in flames last week, starting Bell, McCoy, and Hyde. Bell, McCoy, Hyde. Bell, McCoy, Hyde. Yes, I understand some of you still cashed because you started LaShawn McCoy, Andrew Brees, and Cameron Meredith. Congratulations, you're the one. You fit your lineup into a keyhole. Good for you. I don't understand how Brandon Cooks doesn't show up in more lineups at home against the Panthers when so many of you were playing Drew Brees. How does that happen? It's one thing to play Drew Brees with Michael Thomas. At least you're stacking and you're taking advantage of the incredible correlation between a quarterback and his wide receiver. But the correlation is stronger between the quarterback and his number one wide receiver. And we would all agree Brandon Cooks has significantly more upside on any given week than Michael Thomas. And upside still matters in cash games. The reason many of you cashed is because of the upside that Drew Brees brought to the table and that LaShawn McCoy brought to the table. But across all platforms and all formats, the position that's winning fantasy gamers the most money on any given week is the wide receiver position. We've talked about this on multiple shows. Our job is to win the wide receiver position. That's how you win money. Yes, the guy that's buying up all the expensive running backs will cash once in a while when he hits on a LaShawn McCoy. Again, congratulations. But if your process leads you down a road that leads you to spend more on running backs than anyone else... You're doing it wrong. And playing Drew Brees without a Saints receiver on the board in your lineup is also doing it wrong. If you're playing Drew Brees and you're not playing one of his receivers, you're actively rooting against your team. That's what you're doing. If you're not playing Odell Beckham Jr. against the Ravens, 
You're a masochist. Yet, Cooks was owned in only 2.4% of DraftKings cash games. Odell Beckham Jr., get this, owned in 1.4% of cash game lineups. Why? The DFS echo chamber, of course. One expert says to another expert, says to another expert, says to another expert, says to another expert, says to another expert on Tuesday, pay up for running backs this week. Fade the wide receivers. That's how a lineup featuring Le'Veon Bell, LaShawn McCoy, and Carlos Hyde with Drew Brees and no Saints receivers gets created. I didn't have enough money left to afford Brandon Cooks. Whoops! This wasn't a week to pay up for wide receivers like Odell Beckham Jr. But a large number played LaShawn McCoy, played Cameron Meredith, played Drew Brees. And that's why the pay line for the $10 massive double up on DraftKings was 155.74 points. And if you played Brees, McCoy, and Meredith, you cashed despite an inordinately high pay line. Wow! Your roster construction approach for week six must have been perfect. Wrong! You got lucky. That's what happened. Your running back scored three touchdowns. Across all NFL running backs, you see only a handful of three touchdown games all season. If that's what you're banking on to hit the pay line, woof! Good luck with your bankroll this season. If you're going to play DFS lineups, here's my recommendation. Don't play in the big cash games. Don't do it. Just say no. And if you are going to play in the big cash games, play contrarian lineups. Put your ear to the DFS echo chamber. Hear what everyone is saying everyone should do. And then you'll know what everyone's doing. And make sure you're doing something at least slightly different. Add some variance. Everyone talks about variance in the context of a guaranteed prize pool contest. But look at these pay lines, 155.74. Huh! And if you paid up for running backs and you didn't hit it just right, you weren't cashing. You need to add variance. The cash games on these platforms are like the Atlantic City no hold'em tables in rounders. It's just a bunch of grinders stealing each other's bankrolls. That's a zero-sum game. For every new player that sits down at the table and doesn't know what they're doing, another noob is getting up. And the rake has been climbing on these sites, canceling out all the low-hanging fruit dumb money. So what's left? Just a bunch of grinders taking other grinders' bankrolls. Just look at the double-up contests on DraftKings. Look at the cash lines. Look at who's playing. Grinders taking down grinders. If you're going to wander into that table of sharks, you need to do something different. You need to add variance. But I have a better idea. Instead of playing a $10 double up, why not play 10 $1 GPPs? We talked about the massive double up pay line 155.74 on DraftKings last week. The 1.4 million play action GPP pay line, 142.72. Just play $10 GPPs instead of one $10 double up. I've talked to a lot of people who have started playing in daily and I see this cycle of disillusion unfold. They start off playing GPPs, get discouraged because they realize, oh, Jonathan Bales is playing hundreds and hundreds of lineups. So then they shift over to cash games. And then they realize, oh, Condia, he's playing thousands of lineups. 
uh-oh. And because information has become all the more ubiquitous, the guys at the top who had the slight edges in access to information and the resources to enter hundreds and thousands of lineups, like a Jonathan Bales, like a Condia, they have an unbeatable advantage over the course of a season. I hear this story play out time and time again as my friends discover Daily Fantasy. So they start with GPPs, then they give up on GPPs, they go to cash games, then they give up on cash games, and what happens? They come back to GPPs, and I agree with that. That, to me, is fun. And if I'm going to play a cash game lineup, there is going to be some variance, not just in the players selected, but in the roster construction approach. And week six was the perfect week to be contrarian in cash games because you saw so many of these Bell McCoy Hyde lineups go down in flames. Week six was a reminder you should not be buying multiple high-end running backs in full PPR DFS contests. There are always going to be inexpensive running backs thrust into starting roles available always every week why are you playing demarco murray lamar miller jordan howard td dependent running backs when you can just play frank gore or matt jones or terrence west or james white also td dependent running backs in similar situations but much less expensive You could even go all the way down to Jay Ajayi, but of course, I wasn't playing Jay Ajayi in any contest last week. But I was playing Frank Gore, I was playing Matt Jones, I was playing Terrence West, and I was playing James White. But there was a running back I played that didn't score two touchdowns, didn't get to 100 yards, who I thought was the chalkiest of the chalk last week. It didn't work out for him. He didn't have an explosive week, but he could have. Giovanni Bernard. Don't get me wrong. We did not think playing two cheap running backs last week was the way. There are weeks in which the computer believes you should play an expensive running back, even on DraftKings. And last week was one of them. But there aren't a lot of weeks like last week. But yes, absolutely, you play a Le'Veon Bell, you play a LaShawn McCoy in week six. But we just can't stomach running off into the extremes and playing the two or three most expensive running backs in one lineup. Just doesn't make sense. Because based on our projections and his implied low volatility, we felt Giovanni Bernard was the chalkiest of the chalk last week. And some of our positions are very contrarian. And as I share them, I know they're contrarian. I had no idea playing Giovanni Bernard in cash games last week was considered contrarian. That was contrarian. Why would you play LaShawn McCoy and Giovanni Bernard when you can play LaShawn McCoy and Le'Veon Bell? Well, here's why. Because Giovanni Bernard is one of the great playmaker running backs in the NFL. He's a starter, and he also plays the satellite pass-catching back role for a team who Las Vegas believed was going to lose by more than a touchdown on the road. In Week 5, Giovanni Bernard's opportunity share was 75%. And then in week six, the Cincinnati Bengals were using Giovanni Bernard on the goal line. He didn't score a touchdown. If he had, he would have reached 20 fantasy points. That would have been nice, by the way. That would have been great. That would have really helped us in week six if Giovanni Bernard had scored from the one-yard line. It didn't happen. 
but he was still chalk. Worst case scenario, Giovanni Bernard was 12 fantasy points. And Bernard was only $4,600 on DraftKings and $5,700 on FanDuel. Incredible value, low ownership. He was the ideal play in week six, particularly in PPR leagues. It's Giovanni Bernard. And Jeremy Hill's no longer a thing. Wake up. Jeremy Hill's being phased out of the offense. But no one was saying play Giovanni Bernard in cash last week. And everyone was saying play Cameron Meredith. And if you're going to start LaShawn McCoy and Giovanni Bernard, you necessarily have to roster cheap wide receivers that week. And we did. We rostered some cheap wide receivers last week, not Cameron Meredith. Instead, we played Robert Woods because Robert Woods was the number one wide receiver for a team that was supposed to score a significant number of points against the San Francisco 49ers. Robert Woods was a high floor wide receiver with multi-touchdown upside. He got his touchdown and he returned the value we were hoping for. But those that started Cameron Meredith will point at Cameron Meredith and say, he was a smarter play than Robert Woods. I disagree. Then the argument is, well, I played LaShawn McCoy, so there's negative correlation between Robert Woods and my running back. You don't worry about negative correlation with your least expensive wide receiver. With your least expensive wide receiver, you're just looking for targets on a team that projects to score a lot of points. That's it. That's what Robert Woods was in week six. I don't care if you were also playing LaShawn McCoy. If you're going to play Brandon Cooks, you don't play Mark Ingram. Of course not. And we saw the touchdowns went to Brandon Cooks, none to Mark Ingram. While I'm very confident in our roster construction process for cash and GPPs, it's not like our lineups were perfect last week. Carlos Hyde did appear in lineups. We did have lineups with Le'Veon Bell over LaShawn McCoy. And I think that was a mistake. We use every week as an opportunity to learn more, to teach the lineup optimization computer to do a better job. And what did we learn last week? We learned that the home running backs have a higher floor than the road running backs. The computer did not understand this. The computer looked at Carlos Hyde as an incredible value proposition. That wasn't necessarily true, particularly on the road. Why? Because the 49ers through five weeks called the most run plays with a negative game script, which means no team called more running plays when they were losing than the San Francisco 49ers. That's unsustainable. Also, Carlos Hyde had more touchdowns versus expected touchdowns than any running back in the league. You look at all of Carlos Hyde's touches in every given game situation, and across the NFL, running backs in his situations were scoring three touchdowns through five games. He was scoring six. Carlos Hyde's fantasy output through five weeks was buoyed by an unsustainable touchdown total. His touchdown rate was more unsustainable than any other running back in the league. And when a running back like that goes on the road, that's how you fall into a value trap. I was guilty of it. Our lineup optimization computer was guilty of it. We were all guilty of it. I mean, I had the numbers in front of me. I knew this was the case. And yet, I let the computer spit out a cash game lineup with Carlos Hyde in it. That was a mistake. So what do we do about it? We look at the home road splits for running backs going back through time, and we add a home road discount factor for running backs. That's it. We fixed the glitch. You identify problems. You implement solutions. That's how improvement happens. 
but it's not going to change our fundamental premise that you should be paying up for wide receivers in full point PPR contests regardless. But I still wasn't proud of some of our cash game choices that we offered for week six, but I was incredibly proud of the GPP lineups that we offered. Breeze, Cooks, Julio Jones was present in a majority of our GPP lineups. If you go to playerprofiler.com forward slash optimal dash lineup, we provide 10 high volatility lineups that also leverage correlation. So if Drew Brees is at the top, then you'll see Brandon Cooks or Michael Thomas in there as well. If we're playing LaShawn McCoy, you'll probably see the Buffalo Bills defense in there. When the running back does well, typically the defense does well and vice versa. When the quarterback does well, typically his wide receivers do well and vice versa. But every week that goes by, we try to glean more learnings and then implement solutions. But beyond computers, it just makes sense intuitively that you'd want a lineup with Drew Brees, Brandon Cooks, Julio Jones, and then running backs like Matt Jones. The computer loved lineups with Matt Jones at running back and Washington's defense, which also allowed Breeze, Cooks, Julio Jones combinations. Julio Jones was in almost every GPP lineup for both our optimal DraftKings GPP lineups and our optimal FanDuel GPP lineups. That's incredible considering Julio Jones was facing the Seattle Seahawks secondary and Richard Sherman. But here's an interesting piece of information. We are tracking cornerback data. We have created a metric called cornerback coverage rating. It's not available on playerprofiler.com. It will be in 2017. We're collecting a lot of information on cornerbacks. We're building cornerback pages, and we will provide wide receiver cornerback matchup data for the 2017 NFL regular season. We're going to be thoughtful before we roll it out. We're not just going to dump this data into a spreadsheet and say, here you go, everybody. No, we're going to be thoughtful about how we present the information. The cornerback data is very interesting, and maybe the most interesting piece of information is that Richard Sherman's not a top 10 corner in the league. By every measure that we have, looking at every advanced metric, whether it's quarterback passer rating against, our proprietary coverage rating, passes defended per target, targets per snap, teams are picking on Richard Sherman more than ever, and they're completing passes to wide receivers covered by Richard Sherman more than ever. It's happening. That's one of the reasons why Julio Jones showed up in so many GPPs. A clear contrarian play against the Seahawks, but that's what you're looking for. High volatility, upside, low ownership. Upside, low ownership. Isn't that what you're always chasing in GPPs? Well, that's why Julio Jones showed up in almost every lineup. So we had Julio Jones in GPPs. Yay! Had Carlos Hyde in a cash game lineup. Ooh, ouch. But when this cornerback data comes out, be careful not to overweight the CB matchup data or the opposing coach. We saw that last week. Don't start A.J. Green. He's facing Belichick, and Belichick always takes away the opposing team's best weapon. Oh, really? Okay. Good thing we're playing Giovanni Bernard in cash then. <laughs> but even if the advanced metrics suggested that Richard Sherman's a top 10 cornerback in the NFL, you still play Julio Jones in a GPP because of his low ownership and the fact that he's generally matchup proof. And even if he's not an elite matchup proof wide receiver, wide receivers have still been known to slay quality cornerbacks. Look at Kenny Britt. Kenny Britt was a rookie in the NFL in 2009, and he's only 28 years old. It's amazing. He just turned 28. 
Kenny Britt technically still in the prime of his career, even though it feels like he's been around forever. He played in 12 games in his second year in the league with Tennessee, posted 73 catches and nine touchdowns. Kenny Britt looks the part of an elite wide receiver trapped on one of the league's least efficient offenses in quarterback purgatory. That's Kenny Britt. He goes from the Titans to the Rams. You have to feel bad for him, but if you look at his profile on playerprofiler.com, he's impressive. He's big, fast, and explosive. A 102.2 74th percentile height-adjusted speed score, 124.9 71st percentile burst score. He suffered a knee injury in his third year in the league, but that was six years ago. I think the knee has healed by now. And when you watch him play, you see he's still got juice. He's an explosive wide receiver, and he landed on the waiver wire in many fantasy leagues. And Rich Rebar and I were talking about him last week. We couldn't understand why he's been so undervalued. He's an incredibly talented wide receiver in an awful situation. Isn't that what DeAndre Hopkins is facing right now? What's the big difference between Kenny Britt and DeAndre Hopkins? There isn't one. Those two wide receivers are much closer than anyone believes. I've been hoping for a Kenny Britt breakout game all season. Do you know who else has been rostering Kenny Britt across their fantasy leagues and hoping for a breakout? We talked about him earlier, Rich Rebar, one of the smartest fantasy analysts in the industry. Do you want to know who else has come on the show and talked about how much they love Kenny Britt and how underappreciated Kenny Britt is? Zero RB originator, Sean Siegel. He's quietly hopeful that Kenny Britt will reemerge in 2016, and it's happening. Against Darius Slay, the almighty Darius Slay, Kenny Britt, seven receptions on eight targets, 136 yards, two touchdowns, 32.6 fantasy points. That's why you do not overweight the wide receiver's cornerback matchup. Kenny Britt's clearly the outside receiver for the Rams. Darius Slay is clearly the primary outside cornerback for the Rams. They were going to be locked up all game, and it didn't matter because Kenny Britt is a big athletic receiver who was dominant in college and has been dominant at the professional level, but the situations he's found himself in have been absolute worst-case scenario. And what happens? Case Keenum gets hot? Who's the big beneficiary? Kenny Britt. Because, of course... When the quarterback gets hot, the number one wide receiver benefits most. That's where there's the strongest correlation. Drew Brees gets hot. Brandon Cooks is the biggest beneficiary. Kenny Britt is top 12 in the NFL in air yards. And he's top 10 with 8.3 air yards per target. Josh Hermsmeyer, a writer for Rotoviz, has written extensively about air yards. Air yards is more predictive of future wide receiver success than total receiving yards, and in particular, yards after the catch. We're going to have Josh on the show in a couple weeks, and he'll also be presenting his findings on air yards at the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. So both Josh and Sean and Rich and I have known a Kenny Britt breakout is coming. We just didn't know which week. We didn't think it would be this week because Darius Slay is a top 20 cornerback. But according to our metrics, like Richard Sherman, Darius Slay's not actually a top 10 cornerback. You listen to these DFS Grinder podcasts. You read these fantasy football matchup articles. And they talk about cornerbacks with no precision If the cornerback has a name brand, then you need to be careful about starting wide receivers facing him. And at this point, Darius Slay has a name brand, but according to the advanced metrics, he's not a top 10 cover corner. 
That's how Kenny Britt was able to slay Darius Slay with advanced cornerback metrics and wide receiver air yards. <laughs> that's how. That's how. All predicated on Case Keenum getting hot, which no one predicted, of course. But many of you predicted Tavon Austin would return value in cash games last week. How'd that go? How'd that go? We started the show talking about DraftKings cash games. I saw a lot of funny DraftKings lineups. Tavon Austin owned in 43.2% of lineups. What? Jalen Strong owned in 20% of lineups. Eli Rogers owned in 10% after Sammy Coates was active. We loved Rogers when Sammy Coates was going to be out, but Sammy Coates played. You don't play Eli Rogers if Sammy Coates is going to be active. Yet 10% of the DFS players in the DraftKings massive double up played Eli Rogers and only 2% played Brandon Cooks, 1% played Odell Beckham Jr. Why did they do that? Because they spent all their money on running backs. (laughs) And again, I know some of you cashed with Breeze, McCoy, and Meredith. I know. If you didn't hear me before, I'll say it again. Congratulations. You got lucky. You got lucky because you should not be playing wide receivers with uncertain roles in cash games. That's Cameron Meredith. That's Eli Rogers. That's Jalen Strong. And Tavon Austin plays on one of the lowest volume pass offenses, and he's not even the number one wide receiver. Yet you think that's a good cash play. Okay, okay, sure. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, fine, fine. Hey, you hit on Meredith. Congratulations. Glad it worked out. I love Meredith, so I'm happy either way. Bad process, good result. It happens. It's football. But... Like Robert Woods, there are inexpensive wide receivers with high enough floors to play in cash. They exist. In week seven, Adam Thielen could be that wide receiver. If Stephon Diggs doesn't play, then Adam Thielen is the number one wide receiver. He's guaranteed a significant target share, and therefore you can play him in cash. He'll be a tremendous value. His ownership rate will be very high, and it will be justified. Unlike Tavon Austin's in week six. I also do not recommend playing wide receivers with underwhelming talent profiles. I'm much more apt to play an untalented running back than an untalented wide receiver. Just look at last week. Matt Jones, 20 fantasy points. Jay Ajayi, 200 yards. James White, two touchdowns. Look at my personal off-season tout track record. Crushing wide receivers. But I've gotten a number of running backs very wrong. Kristen Michael, wrong. Matt Jones, wrong. James White, wrong. If you want to hear about how wrong I was about Kristen Michael, Matt Jones, and James White, just search Roto Underworld Radio on YouTube. And any video about Matt Jones or Kristen Michael will have a long list of critical comments. But not wide receivers. If I criticized a wide receiver in the offseason, he's already imploded. If I touted a wide receiver in the offseason, he's already ascended. My favorite is Tajay Sharp. I posted a video on the Roto Underworld Radio YouTube channel saying, Kendall Wright is a threat to Tajay Sharp. And 20 plus YouTube visitors skewered that analysis. Called me an idiot, a moron, a blowhard. Look at you now. You don't know what you're talking about. 
after week one. But now it's been six weeks. And where are we? Well, Tajay Sharp has been marginalized in the Tennessee Titans offense in favor of Kendall Wright. Kendall Wright last week. Nine targets, eight receptions, 133 yards, and a touchdown. How you like me now, YouTube commenters? My argument was simple. Kendall Wright is an established and productive NFL wide receiver. Tajay Sharp is a 21-year-old fifth-round pick from UMass. Occam's Razor. Distill down the argument to its most basic components, and more often than not, there you will find your answer. But I did not just call the overvalued wide receivers, but I also revel in calling the undervalued wide receivers. Larry Fitzgerald. Tyrell Williams. Quincy Anunwa. Cameron Meredith. Soon-to-be Chris Hogan. So what's happening here? Two polar opposite ends of the spectrum. Good wide receiver analysis, not so good running back analysis. What's happening? Because with running backs, I tend to focus on the wrong sorts of details. Running backs are much more situation dependent than wide receivers. That's why it's easier to find cash game running backs than it is to find cash game wide receivers. Just last week, Terrence West, Matt Jones, James White, Jay Ajayi. You couldn't necessarily see those players coming or week six explosions by those players coming, but you could at least see their situation coming. Nobody saw Sharkandrick West coming at the beginning of 2015, but Jamal Charles gets injured and then Sharkandrick West becomes a starter for a run first Chiefs offense. Of course, Sharkandrick West is going to be fantasy viable. And then you see the reverse engineered arguments by fantasy analysts explaining why they saw Sharkandrick West coming. No, you didn't. You didn't. We have to know what we don't know about wide receivers. We have to know what we don't know about running backs. I believe that I understand the underlying mechanics of a breakout running back more than I actually do. So essentially, my analysis of running backs is often delusional. I want to think that workhorse score and speed score and dominator are more important than they actually are to a running back's fantasy football output in any given year. It's just not. A running back is much more heavily influenced by the external forces that push and pull him. We talked about this with Todd Gurley. Why weren't we drafting Todd Gurley? Because all the external forces were working against him in 2016. Bad quarterback play, inefficient offense, inefficient run-blocking offensive line, below-average red zone touches. You can't be a top fantasy football running back facing that kind of headwind. I'm adept at identifying running backs I shouldn't be drafting, like Todd Gurley. I'm all about not drafting running backs, as you all know. What I'm less adept at is identifying the inexpensive running backs that I should be drafting based on situation alone. This is where Matt Jones comes to mind. This is where Terrence West comes to mind. This is where Kristen Michael comes to mind. Washington's offensive line has been a run-blocking revelation in 2016. Washington's offensive line has a 122.6 run-blocking efficiency rating on playerprofiler.com. That's number eight in the NFL. If you want to know why Matt Jones is scoring touchdowns, look no further than that 
and his 16 red zone carries, which is also top 10 in the NFL. Washington has a prolific offense with an efficient run-blocking offensive line. That's the nuts of the situation with Matt Jones. That's all you needed to know. And we had J.J. Zacharyson on the show two months ago, and he said exactly that. He said, Matt Jones is a guy. I get it. He's a dude. I don't like Matt Jones in a vacuum. I don't think Matt Jones is good. If I was starting a franchise today, I'm not picking Matt Jones, but this is fantasy football. And Washington is committed to Matt Jones. And if Washington's offense is prolific and their run blocking is above average, then Matt Jones is going to be a fantasy football asset. He's someone you need to be drafting at his 78.0 ADP on my fantasy league. And sure enough, J.J. Zacharyson was right and Matt Kelly was wrong. And of all these external forces, the offensive line is the biggest factor. It creates drastic running back output fluctuations year to year. Just look at DeMarco Murray. I had DeMarco Murray as a top three running back for 2015. Whoops! What happened to DeMarco Murray last year? Inefficient run-blocking offensive line, inefficient offense, and bad game flow. The Eagles were losing a lot, they weren't blocking anybody, and they weren't matriculating the ball downfield. That's how a DeMarco Murray misses expectations in 2015. Then DeMarco Murray goes to the Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans have a 141.4 run-blocking offensive line efficiency rating on playerprofiler.com. That's top five in the NFL. DeMarco Murray was a dominant college runner, runs a 4-4-140. That's 95th percentile, 123.7 burst score, 74th percentile. So DeMarco Murray has the speed and the burst to get the absolute most out of the wide running lanes that the Tennessee Titans are providing him. He doesn't have a great agility score. If there's one workout metric that is the most predictive of running back success, it is the agility score. If we're going back to Matt Jones, that's the one positive trait on the Matt Jones profile. Other than being big, 11.16 agility score, that's 70th percentile. Whether it's DeMarco Murray or Charles Sims, if they're running behind a poor run-blocking offensive line, they don't have the agility to sidestep defenders in the backfield. They're going to fail in those situations. But a DeMarco Murray, someone with a high burst score and a low agility score, is going to succeed behind an elite run-blocking offensive line. You give DeMarco Murray or his teammate, Derrick Henry, you give either one of those running backs a hole to run through, they are going to explode through that hole and get the most out of it. The problem is offensive lines are very difficult to grade from one year to the next. It's hard enough to evaluate an individual skill position player. It's much harder to evaluate on a unit of five guys that is constantly in flux. This is another reason why running backs are so volatile year to year. You don't know what you're getting because you're drafting both the running back and the offensive line. Our preseason forecast of running back productivity year to year is much less accurate generally than wide receiver forecasts. That's why we implement zero RB, because so often with running backs, we don't know what we're getting. 
You implement zero RB so you can load up on talented wide receivers that you know are going to be productive in the early rounds, and then you draft running backs based on talent, but more importantly, situation in rounds 7 through 12. That's where you could find Melvin Gordon. That's where you could find Matt Jones. That's where you could find Tevin Coleman. And I mentioned that the computer that drives the lineup optimization tool on playerprofiler.com, it's always improving, always learning. Well, I, as a fantasy analyst, am also always learning and trying to improve. And that means you are going to hear far fewer skill-based fantasy football running back arguments from me in 2017. But we'll still have weeks in which the hipster DFS players argue that it's a good idea to pay up for multiple, quote-unquote, talented running backs. But the existence of a Matt Jones tells you that's not a good idea. But then that leads to a larger existential question about playerprofiler.com. If running back talent only matters on the margins, then why do we even have running back pages on playerprofiler.com? It's been established. Playerprofiler.com does a lot better job of illuminating wide receiver talent and future fantasy football production for wide receivers than it does for running backs. So why not just shut down the running back pages on playerprofiler.com? Why do I even bother offering running back opinions? Wrong about Matt Jones. Wrong about Jay Ajayi. Wrong about Terrence West versus Javorius Allen. Wrong about James White. Wrong about Isaiah Crowell versus Terrell Watson. Wrong, 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 wrong. (coughs) What's the point? (coughs) Just focus on what you're good at. Only focus on wide receivers. Don't forget Brandon Cooks. That's right. This whole conversation was started as an elaborate rationalization. For starting Brandon Cooks in cash games, even though less than 3% of cash games players on DraftKings played Brandon Cooks. What? Insane. And I said before the season that Brandon Cooks looks like this year's DeAndre Hopkins, and that's playing out exactly right. But I can't be a wide receiver guru. I can't. That title has already been taken in the fantasy football community by Matt Harmon, remember? He's a wide receiver guru. Remember Allen Robinson? Woo! And Tyler Lockett's this year's Allen Robinson. Remember? I can't compete with Matt Harmon's wide receiver evaluations. I just can't. That's his area. I'm going to stay in my lane. Even though Matt Harmon had Brandon Cooks outside his top 20 wide receivers this season. Why? Because he believed Brandon Cooks had a lot of work to do against press coverage. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense that Brandon Cooks' hand-fighting ability would push him from the top 10 to outside your top 20. Makes perfect sense. That's That sounds right. That sounds right. I feel like I'm getting unusually agitated about where another analyst has a particular wide receiver ranked. I feel like I'm channeling Stephen A. Smith. You have Brandon Cooks? Where? Where? What? You have Blake Griffin over Brandon Cooks? What? (laughs) Okay. So even though we're better at evaluating wide receivers and many of our running back projections fail, we are going to continue to evaluate running backs and maintain the running backs on playerprofiler.com. You know why? David Johnson.